The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 20-year breast cancer survivor. I'm also a professional speaker, published author of The Hat That Saved My Life, and really happy that Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Oh, I know. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. And I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 23-year survivor. I'm also a certified life coach and the, uh, the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're the co-founders of Breast Friends. And like you said, Becky, this is there's so much to be thankful for so I'm uh, excited to spend this holiday with family and friends yeah you bet you know this Thanksgiving's always been my favorite holiday and you know it's not like Christmas that is so much about presents and gift giving it's really just about family and I'm so excited because this year I get to go to Boston my husband and I are heading to Boston we're going to be with most of our kids all of our grandkids and what a what an, a blessing to be able to spend that time with them so Really excited about that. Um, Today, we have a guest with us that I had the privilege of meeting personally about a year and a half ago, I guess it was. Um, Mayma Carmo is the founder of the Tiger Lily Foundation. She, what an amazing story this woman has. And rather than me tell the story, let's just bring her on and introduce her to to the audience. So, Mayma, welcome to our show today. And thank Hi, you for being for here. Me on. How are you both doing this afternoon? Oh, We're doing great. Yeah, great. yeah, it's good. Um, so, Mama, you <laughs> you have escaped three wars. You've been held at gunpoint. You've been hit by lightning. I mean, the odds of being hit by lightning <laughs> in in your lifetime right. is one in twelve thousand. But this year, your odds are one in nine hundred and sixty thousand. I mean, that's. But you you managed to make that happen. I hope you're buying lottery tickets. And survive breast cancer. I buy plenty of them, right? (laughs) Exactly. And she survived breast cancer. Don't forget that one. Oh, I know. (laughs) I just got stuck on the lightning. So, (laughs) so Mamo, tell us tell us about you. My gosh, I mean, you survived. You escaped three wars. Let's start there. That's pretty pretty fascinating. Well, I'm, yeah, so my life has not been, never been normal. Um, I'm from Liberia, West Africa. I was born and raised there. And the country has had several, you know, coup d'etats. And so my parents were very, very um, committed to the community. And so whenever we had a war, we would leave the country and come to the States, but they always felt like they had to get back, go back and give back. And so the first war happened when I was eight years old, and we came to the States. Um, stayed for a little while, went back. Um, the second war happened when I was 12 years old. Um, we came again. We escaped that war to, for, to save our lives. And then um, once again, went back to Liberia. 
And the third war happened in 1989 when I was 15 years old. And mm. my father put me in a plane and sent me over here. And I've been here since then. So I, I feel very blessed to have been able to survive three wars. We had a lot of friends and family who, you know, weren't as fortunate. So I feel blessed to have been, you know, to get through, to get through that, to get through that for one. And then, you know, when I was 12 years old, um, I was on the phone one day and my mom kept saying to me, it's raining, you shouldn't be on the phone while it's raining because um, if there's lightning and thunder. And But you know when you're 12 years old, you think your parents aren't, aren't that smart. <laughs> they don't know anything. And, <laughs> that and is I true. Kept, like, blowing, I kept you know, blowing her off. But I put the phone down. And I put the phone down and I turned away to walk away. Then it rang. And so I went back to pick it up thinking somebody was calling the house. And when I picked the phone up, the lightning just came through the phone and hit me and knocked me out. <gasps> and oh, that was oh a, my heavens! Yeah, I've never heard of it that. Was a, yeah, it was a pretty wild experience. Um, I, I had, actually had an out-of-body experience because the first thing I felt was the heat and then, like, a bright light, and then everything just went black. And um, wow. that was it. It was just the heat, light, and then black. And then I saw myself laying there, you know. It was just really surreal. And... Um, you know, but thank God I, you know, I'm still here. So I feel like I have nine lives. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That, right? I think so. Well, yeah. and wow. the way I have to look at those kinds of situations, too, is God has a plan for you, girl, you know, and obviously <laughs> Tiger Lily is part of that. But yep. you have a lot of um, important things to do because if you can, if you can hang in there for all of this, woo, that's pretty impressive. Wow, well, you know, so prepared me for prepared me for tiger lily and for having breast yeah. cancer. If I hadn't gone yeah. through the wars and you know my parents didn't have, we lost everything in the wars. We came here when we came the last time. We had lost all my parents. We lost our home, their income, you know, all our money, like savings. We just came with one suitcase each. Oh wow! And so oh. having gone through all of that really taught me the the importance of having faith in God, of having faith when you don't know what's going to happen the next moment. Um, they taught me how to how to go forward when there's nothing left to consider going forward for. Like we didn't have anything to start with. We had to kind of start from scratch. And mm. you know, having being held at gunpoint and having escaped the wars kind of taught me to always hope for more or better. You know, so of course, breast cancer had its own challenges that I had to deal with. But if I hadn't had the other things happen, I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have had the fortitude to. I think really, really get through it and then begin my nonprofit while in treatment. Absolutely. And you that know, was you, when you were you 32, right? 32, you were diagnosed? I'm sorry? Yeah, you you I'm were sorry. diagnosed at 32 with breast cancer? At 32 years old, yes. Yeah, wow. And you had a three-year-old daughter at the time? Yeah, three-year-old daughter. <clears throat> I found a lump at 31 years old. Um, but it took me a few months to get diagnosed because my doctor felt at first um, I was too young to have breast cancer, that it was probably only a cyst, and they kept saying, you're too young. Um, I pushed for a mammogram. I got that, and it came back clean because women who are younger tend to have denser breasts. So exactly. the mammogram, missed the, it missed the, the, the tumor. And so had I not been pushing for more screening, pushing for a biopsy, and had taken my doctor's advice and come back in six months to a year, I would I probably wouldn't be here today. Because yeah. when I finally pushed for the biopsy and got it, um, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer, the lump had actually doubled in size 
in less than six months. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, so those are things that's that frightening, I'm isn't it? What yeah. I did. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. very frightening, right? Because and you know, Mama, younger, what, what I remember no about better. you is. You know, I remember mm-hmm. about you when, when we were back in Washington, D.C., you talked a lot about, you know, being your own best advocate. And we, I, we do yeah. want to get to that place, and we'll talk about that, you know, as we progress down the road a little bit here on this conversation. But, you know, you just, you always impressed me with, with how, you know, you're just so tuned in to so many different things. You know, can we talk a little bit about, before we get into that, I want to hear a little bit more about, some of the awards that you've won, and you, you got the L'Oreal Paris Woman of Worth in 2009. That sounds very, I use L'Oreal um, shampoo, <laughs> so tell me about that. <laughs> well, so um, so what happened was, um, how did that happen? I feel like I'm, my life's been a series of all these, you know, wonderful things, and, and then the challenges, and then there's things that are just kind of almost like, how did that happen? So <laughs> I think... Um, Someone nominated me for the L'Oreal Woman of Worth thing. They began this. They began this campaign years ago where they would nominate women who, let's say, your friend said thought you were worthy of being nominated. They nominate you, and then L'Oreal would pick. I think. I think it's about ten women. I may be wrong. Between eight to ten women a year who they thought were women of worth, women who had um, accomplished significant things and made contributions to the community um, in different aspects, whether it's health or other advocacy work, and so. Um, someone nominated me for the award, and I got a call one day in an email saying that I won this thing, which was fantastic because um, it came with a cash award for the for the nonprofit, but it also oh, came nice. with um, a, lot of, a lot of other things. Like they um, <clears throat> did a huge media campaign where we were in tons of magazines where we got exposure for our charities. And um, the cool thing is they've been engaged with me since I got the award in 2010. So... Um, they'll engage us in terms of if we're having events, they, they can help with social media, they can help with outreach, they can help with advice about, you know, how to work on your marketing. So they're not only giving you the money and the platform, but they're kind of helping to groom the nonprofit, you know, over the years, which has been wonderful to have them as a partner. Okay, yeah, I need them as a partner. I, I guess, how do we get, get them? <laughs> up once in a while. What? I, yeah, we, I, we I, want them. I said, how do I we get we that? Once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if they're looking for somebody else, you know, pass them our right, way. Right. <laughs> so also you won the Congressional Black Caucus Leadership and Advocacy Award and then the Running Start Women to Watch Award. You know, you've been and that was all in 2010. I mean, you've been you've been doing this for a long time and you're not very old even now. I, I don't know how old you are, but to look at you, you'd think you were in your 20s. So, but obviously not because you were diagnosed at 32. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. You've well, been you know, doing a lot of good. Well, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, for me, breast cancer, well, first of all, I've always wanted to serve people in some way. I've always been um, a servant by nature. I wanted to help people and give my life in service in some way. So, I always, since I was a child, wanted to do that. Um, I just didn't know how to do it. And then after getting breast cancer, you know, I had a talk with God, and I really said, you know, like, if I'm going to, you know, make it or not make it, whatever the purpose is of this disease happening to me, I want you to show me how to make a difference with other people. How do I give back and help other young women not go through what I'm going through? Or if they're going yeah. through it, um, make their experience better. And um, as I began that walk with God, you know, I grew so much because my faith grew, and as my faith grew, my voice grew, and I learned something that was so powerful is that we have a... We have a huge, um, we have a voice. We all have a voice, and we can mm-hmm. all change the world. Um, if you told me 
in 2006 when I had when I first heard the words you have breast cancer that I would have a nonprofit be on the hill lead an organization I would have said you're smoking something you're not like it would never <laughs> happen you know what I mean you know what I mean but I think if you really believe in something and you're so passionate about it you're so mm-hmm. passionate and you believe in a vision and you have faith nothing's impossible so um, the award we agree were yeah. very surreal for me hmm? You know, the way Sharon and I kind of share a similar story with you in that regard, and that, you know, when we were both diagnosed with breast cancer, it was three years apart, but it was four years after my diagnosis that we decided to start Breast Friends. And, you know, you're right, we've had, we've had those conversations with God, so we, we get that. And it's, you know, when you feel passionate and you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, um, it, it, it kind of opens the floodgates a bit, you know, and right. allows you to, to serve your purpose the way you're supposed to. And, you know, I was kind of joked because I always wanted to be a professional speaker, but I found out you actually needed a topic. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so when, I, when I got breast cancer, I actually ended up with my topic. So, you know, we, I get it from that perspective as well. It's, you know, sometimes we go through stuff and you just never know what it's going to be, but um, it, it can all lead to something good if, if you make room yeah. for it to do that. Absolutely. So good, yeah. good for you. Good for you, Mama, for doing all that. So well, good for you both. Um, I mean, you do wonderful work as well. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you. So you know, I want to hear more about the advocacy work before we yeah. switch gears. Yep. Me too. Um. So what do you want to know? Ask me, and I will tell you whatever you need to know. Okay. Well, how did you get involved? How did you get involved with advocacy work and going to Washington D.C. and talking to your Congress people and that that kind of stuff? Um. You know, basically, I, I just never, I never shut up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I. Oh, that's. I'm joking. Well, I really don't shut up. If I'm sleeping, yes. But um, I think I just really felt that. I wanted for the women who I was helping to have a, their voices heard, you know, in a big way. And I felt like it's one thing to be an advocate where you're speaking in your community or on, in the media, whatever, and at events. But I really wanted to make a change in a big way. And when I met Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz um, at an event, she and I really connected. And she was, you know, herself, you know, still young. She's still very young. And and looking at her, she's like, Mima, you're doing this great work. You need to be able to use your voice in a way that could change people's lives on, in a large, a large way, bigger way. And I remember talking to her and saying, well, I don't understand, you know, lawmaking and policy and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, you don't need to know that. You need to use your voice and make it be heard. And, and she talked Good to me advice. about how she grew and how she came out of, I mean, she walked door to door when she first did get her first, you know, election. And she said, I didn't know either. I had to learn. And you don't learn until you start. And she goes, you're already yeah. on the path. You have a strong story. You have all this passion. Just show up and people will listen to you. And so, you know, having someone like her um, see my passion, want to support it, and um, empower me was huge. And so after she and I worked on the Breast Cancer Early Act and helped, we began to draft that and get it, and get it out there and get it passed. You know, I thought, you know, this is great to have this work of, of um, this law passed, but well, what's good to law if it doesn't go anywhere? If people aren't, it's not funded or it's not, people aren't, aren't aware of it. So I thought, why don't we have a, a breast cancer day on the hill for young women where they get to come and learn and speak and we engage partners and people in the process. So we had our first breast cancer, young women's breast health day on the hill. 
And I didn't know how I was going to go, but it was a huge success. And the first one was in 2010, um, after we passed the early act. And it's been a, it's just grown from there, you know, and, um, you know, I never imagined I'd have women flying into a hill day. And so, again, you know, it starts with taking a step. It starts with having a vision. It starts with trusting in your passion and knowing that people, people need to hear what you have to say. And mm-hmm. it was not just for myself. It was other women out there, other girls who I knew would be diagnosed that week, that month, that year, who, if I didn't stand up and make my voice heard, wouldn't have the benefit of knowing that they were not alone and they were not being advocated for. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how the whole thing grew. And once it began to evolve, you know, once you begin to, you know, hit one domino, it kind of all began to, it begins to just grow. <laughs> and then, you know, now we're in our sixth year. Wow, that's great. You know, you you said something really powerful um, a, a few, couple minutes ago, and that was basically just start. You know, when you when you have an idea, so many times I think people don't want to start because they don't have all the pieces in place. They don't have all the knowledge that they need. But the advice that you got from from Debbie Wasserman Schultz was basically, you don't need all that. Just start. Your voice is powerful. You need to use it and let the other people around you kind of figure out the the other components that are that are necessary. Um, I, I love that, and I, I think that that's a, there's a really powerful message because I think we all everybody has a story to tell, and right. you know, so many times we don't think we have enough to tell that story effectively, and I disagree with that. So, and you're well, you're just and, a really good what- example. And I love the way what you said. As my faith grew, my mm-hmm. voice grew. Yeah. I I wrote that down because I yeah. thought, woo, I like that. That yeah. that is a good one. And again, just the power of one person. How one person? That means every person can actually make a difference. And I love that. You know, to me, um, it did take two of us, (laughs) Becky and I, to do ours. But, but, you know, the the thing is, we've said to each other, um, you know, I don't know that I had it in me to do it all by myself, which, but, but again, if both of us hadn't had the same vision, it would not have happened. And you, if you didn't have that vision, it wouldn't have happened. And think of all the women you You've, um, you know, been able to help through that advocacy work and the one-on-one and all the different programs that you offer. So we'll we'll talk more about those in detail after the break. We're getting yeah. close to the break, actually. Yeah, we are. Actually, we're very close to the break. So I think we'll go ahead and, and end this seg- segment on that. When we come back, though, I'd like to hear more about the type of cancer that you had, Mama, what that was like going through it with a three-year-old. Um, you know, all of those things. So we'd like to invite you, please, everybody stay with us. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again. 
with the compassion of a cross and shield, and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. We've been talking about um, young survivors and being diagnosed and being uh, having an impact in our community uh, with Mimo uh, Carmo, founder of Tiger Lily Foundation. So we want to talk a little bit more about your cancer specifically. So 32 years old with a three-year-old, you mentioned that. Tell us a little bit more about when you actually had treatment and what that was like. You know, well, for one, I think that one of the things that we don't do enough is talk to women who are younger and girls about the risk of breast cancer. And when I talk about that, I don't mean to scare them. I think it's really important to arm people with education. And young women are so open to to learning. We live in an age where there's so much digital media and information. So um, it's important to let women know early and girls know. And my mom was really... um, focused on getting me aware of my body at a young age. And so she taught me to do my breast self-exams at 13. And when I look back, I, I have to always tell her thank you because if I hadn't begun doing my exams at 13 years old, I wouldn't have known that I had a lump in my breast at 31 years old. I wouldn't have known it wasn't there the month before. I wouldn't have known to ask for the screening and so forth. And, um, and so even though I wasn't prepared for cancer in any um, aspect, uh, you know, it, it was... I knew more than other young women knew my age, um, which was certainly helpful. But it was overwhelming to to know I had breast cancer. Uh, my family had no history of cancer in, at all in the family, um, of breast cancer, any kind of cancer. And I was at a point in my life where I thought, you know, I've arrived, I'm successful, I have good, make good money, I have a nice home, my daughter's three years old, everything's golden. And then I hear that I have cancer. And so the way it happened was, you know, I found out I had triple negative breast cancer, which is one of the most aggressive kinds of breast cancer, um, for which there's no targeted treatment. Um, I learned that women who are younger tend to have more, more aggressive breast cancers because their bodies are different. They have more levels, higher levels of estrogen. And cancer cells feed off estrogen. And I didn't know that before I got diagnosed. Um, I also found that women who are younger tend to have more aggressive breast cancers and, of course, higher mortality rates. So I'm learning I have breast cancer. I'm learning it's triple negative. I'm learning it's aggressive. And it was a lot to stomach at one time. Um, yeah. I have to say I didn't understand, you know, what an oncologist was versus a radiologist or I didn't understand cancer. So having oh, yeah. to learn the, the um, vocabulary of the cancer, having to un- learn and understand the treatments of it, Having to understand and learn what may or may not happen to me was so much at one time. And I felt that it put me at a disadvantage. And so I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to get young women 
know young girls to understand their bodies, to know the terminology, to know about breast cancer in a way where they're empowered. So if they get diagnosed at some point, they know kind of they, they, they're not going into a cold turkey, right, like I right. was. Um, right, because right, how, right. Do you, how do you make a treatment choice about your life in a week or two? That's a lot to ask somebody at 31 years old. And, yeah, and you go from zero, helping. you go from zero yeah. knowledge to having to know tons of stuff all at once, and it's like, how well, do you some even do that? Some helping you're in their twenties. These young women yeah. are in their twenties, and they don't know about it, you know cancer, and so it was a lot to stomach. And having a young child, um, so I was literally in over my head. Um, I'm the kind of person I'm very capable. I'm very confident. I I can make you know make choices readily and move forward. But um, I froze. I froze up, and I couldn't do anything. I kept forgetting things. I was, I just literally froze like a rock. I couldn't do anything. So one of my girlfriends who lived in California would call me and tell me, like, literally, look in your purse, give me your insurance card, give me the doctor's <laughs> numbers. I'm like, I don't have a doctor. I don't know what to do. I'm going to die. Aww. I was just so panicked. But she helped me to find my doctors and, you know, get everything rolling. And it wasn't until my second treatment that I actually began to kind of wake up and realize you know, oh, I could actually survive this thing and, you know, live and do more. But it was overwhelming to that first, you know, month and a half to two months. It was too much to deal with. Well, I'm really glad you, I'm really glad you shared that with, excuse me, with our listeners, because I think so many of us get into that place and we don't know how to get out of it. So do you have any advice on what, what did you do to pull out of it? How, How did you make the switch? I would say to a young woman that it's important to kind of let yourself just be. I think there's too much pressure to pretend to be happy or pretend to understand. Um, I'm very much of an <laughs> so authentic <true>. person. <laughs> what? I said so true. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, my, my mom and my, my family, they were like, you know, me, my snap out of it. We don't like seeing you like this. You're depressed. Your spirit gets together. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be where I am. I'm very much into being where I am. Whether it's being sad, I'll let myself sit there for a while and feel through it. I mean, because joy is as natural a part of life as is sadness. And worry as much as part of life as being a warrior. So I let myself mm-hmm. just sit with it and process this huge thing. It wasn't like I had a bad day or I had a headache. I had freaking cancer, you know? So why yeah. should I pretend to be happy after a month or two or three? It just wasn't normal for me. Um, and so even my daughter, you know, people were like, don't tell her you have cancer. She's three years old. But she could feel I was not happy and I was scared. So I owed her the truth. So I told her I had cancer. So the way I approach things were like, you know what? I need to be authentic. I need to be honest. I need to be true to myself. And um, I began to do a lot of self-nurturing. So when I was panicky and afraid, I'd go, get, I'd go to the spa. I would go to um, go running. I would just sit and think through things. I would journal. But I, to- I thought I need a lot of love right now. I have to love yeah. myself the best I can. So no self-criticism, no, you know, stop doing that. More, more, Mima, this is really hard. It's really scary. Um, um, You know, tell yourself, I love you, you know. I'm here (laughs) for you and just pray. So I really prayed a lot through it. I bought a lot of journals and read books and different things that inspired me. And then over some time, I began to kind of come out of my fear. But it was very slow and just kind of, you know, day by day. Mm, that's fab. That's fabulous. Um, you know, and it, it's just such a good lesson and so inspiring for everybody that's listening right now. Thank you for that. So, what kind of treatment did you actually end up doing? Was it was it chemo, radiation? What what all did you end up doing? 
I had a red devil. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> Love that stuff. <laughs> that red Looks bag. Looks like Kool-Aid. I in that red bag. <laughs> Yeah. And then I was going to be sick all day, so I had um, had had dose dense AC, and then I had Taxol, okay. and um, and then afterwards, so I had surgery first, and I had chemotherapy, and then I had um, radiation for six weeks every day. Okay, we had a very similar circumstance there, um, and that was ten years ago now, right? Is that what you said? My tenth year, my, my last day of treatment was ten years ago yesterday. Wow. So, Ten years ago yeah. yesterday. Wow. Happy, what do we call that, cancerversary? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Mayma, everything, everything's good now? No, no. You know, I am, I'm more than good. I'm, I'm so happy with my life. Um, some people don't like hearing this, but for me, um, I am not unhappy for my experience with breast cancer because it made me get up and wake up and find my purpose and live life more, more, more um, with passion and purpose and vision. So yep. before I had breast cancer, I had a, a job where I was just going to work, working my butt off, getting a paycheck, which is great, but mm-hmm. I wasn't really as happy as I am now. Um, now I'm so much more fulfilled. I'm giving back every day. My life's so full of purpose. And I have great friends like you guys who could ask for more and a wonderful daughter, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it it so is amazing is when, when you're doing work that actually feeds your soul and yeah. you can see the results. You're right. It's it's hardly a four-letter word. <laughs> it's hardly exactly. work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does exactly. It does make a difference when you're doing something that you love. You know, Mame, if we could switch gears for just a moment, because, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, I met you personally about a year and a half ago, um, and that was my second time to Washington, D.C. when I met you. But Sharon and I, I want to go back even a little before that, Sharon and I had been invited to Washington, D.C. to speak with members of Congress about the mammogram. Um, I, I can't call it legislation because what was tr- what they were trying to do was not the legislature doing it. They were trying to stop something from happening. Right. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that and where it's at now? Because I know it, it was the PALS Act that we were trying to help get through that would stop what was going on in this mammogram world of changing it to age 50 from 40 and all of that. And we were successful in stopping it, but I haven't seen much or heard much about it since. And I know that we only have another year to make this go away. So can you tell our listeners what that was about and, you know, just from the beginning, perhaps? Yeah, so I'll try to synopsize it. Um, So the U.S. Preventative Task Force is recommending, along with other groups, that women shouldn't be getting screening for mammograms until they're around 45 or 50 years of age. And so that's something that, you know, is, I mean, that would really harm the women that we're working with who are mostly in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so we felt it was really important to join forces with other groups that were speaking against this issue because um, if women aren't able to get screened until they're in their 50s, well, that, I mean, imagine the mortality rate of women that would be coming, wanting to get screened and wouldn't have any access until that age. That age. So... Um, we thought we should, you know, plan a hill day, which we, we should do a hill day in June, but we thought we should plan a hill day to go, go, go to the Capitol Hill area and talk to members about the importance of this issue and why they should sign on to stop the USPFTF from passing this, this, you know, from recommending these, these things. And so we had women like yourself, Becky, come to the Hill who are amazing advocates who understood the power of their voices to speak about why it was important to not get the recommendations passed 
and we saw 72 members of Congress within one day, and we were able to help other groups involved get them to, you know, to, to stop doing that. So, um, so that's what we did on the Hill. I mean, it's really important to, again, get people engaged. Um, and the PALS bill stands for protecting access to life-saving screening. And so um, the president signed the bill into law, I think, in November or December. And that's kind of where that stands right now. And so basically what that law did, is, as I recall, is it really just put a two-year moratorium, moratorium, I guess, so to speak, on, on the recommendation by the task force because, because it's just, it was so confusing and it was adding so much conflict to the conversation around when should women get mammograms that we just wanted time to sort it out and figure out, right. should we keep it at 40 is it wise to move it to 50 or 45? And so because that recommendation, people rely on what they hear as being true, but is it is it the best solution? And so um, Sharon and I were actually, even before we met you, Mema, we were invited there oh, several months before that. Um, and we so we actually had a, a Hill Day prior to having a chance to meet you. And so we went that day and I think we... I don't know, there were probably 90 appointments scheduled, and then I had the chance to go back a second time, and that's when I met you, and we did it again, you know, so it was pretty cool, and then, in and you're right, we were successful in getting the PALS Act passed, but again, it's only a two-year moratorium, and one of those years is up right. now, so if exactly. we don't do something to continue that conversation and make that change, everything's in place to just move it to age 50 in a year if we don't do something additional. So yeah, do you have any idea what the, up, what, what the update is well, or meeting, where are we at? I have a meeting with some, uh, we have a meeting with some people on the Hill next week. And so I'll be able to say more if we do this again. Okay. Um, but right okay. now we're still working towards ensuring that doesn't happen because it's giving women who are younger conflicting messages because some groups yeah. are saying 40, some are saying 45, some are saying 50. And, you know, for us in the breast cancer space, we know what those numbers mean and we know how to push for our, you know, for screening, but women who are younger, who are living in different parts of the world or country, may not have the wherewithal to push for a screening or to be their best advocate. So it's incumbent right. on us to ensure that we make sure the ban is still in place and that women aren't getting these mixed messages. So we have a lot of work to do, yes, for sure. We do. Well, you know, Breast Friends would still love to be part of that work. So if there is, you know, that. we've... We we had a we had one of our radio shows is on this very topic. We had some folks from Washington D.C. who were on the radio show talking about why why it's important to keep it at forty and why this was why this matters. So we would love to still be part of that. Um, we very much believe in it. I was forty three when I was diagnosed with a screening mammogram. Sharon, you were forty, right? Yeah, I when was you, forty. Yeah, yeah and yeah. if we'd both waited till we were fifty to get our screening mammogram. Um, we wouldn't be here, either one of us. Mine was stage exactly. three, and they gave me a 60% chance to survive past five years. Had I waited seven more years for my screening, you know, I, I'd be dead. So we know that it's important. You know, and now it's not the same as a diagnostic mammogram. We're talking screening. So if you have a lump and you have some reason, I mean, there, you can still have a diagnostic mammogram. And you can still get a screening mammogram um, at age 40 if this new thing becomes the the recommendation, but you just wouldn't get your insurance to pay for it. So, you know, and that's where some of the conflict comes into, because if you've got a woman who's faced with, you know, maybe she's a single mom, low income, she has a choice between giving her kids shoes or dinner, or she can go get a screening mammogram, 
you know, which is she going to choose? Obviously, exactly. she's going to take care of the kids. So we don't want that right. to become, you know, the life-saving or life-threatening decision that she has to make. So so it is but really important. Woman, we, the average woman won't even know the difference. The average woman, like even for me, before I got diagnosed, if I'd heard the recommendation, I would have yeah. thought it meant that I don't have to get screened until I was Exactly. 50. I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly. hear past those first sentences. I would just hear, oh, the USPFT have said, um, I don't need a mammogram until I'm 50, so I'm good. And that's the yeah, wrong exactly. message to give young woman. It's the wrong message, that, period. That well, is absolutely and- just like your particular diagnosis, too, you know, your doctor originally said, oh, you're too young. And that's exactly yep. what we want to hear. We want to hear that, oh, you couldn't possibly have cancer. But guess what? You did. I did. Day. Becky did. Yep. Exactly. And so, unfortunately, younger women are being diagnosed. And I think on break, we were talking just a little bit, too, about you know, the processed foods that we eat and, you know, the sugar consumption and a lot a lot of these yeah. things that, again, I think are definitely affecting how our young people are being diagnosed at a much earlier age. I just talked to a mom of a 26-year-old yesterday, and I'm like, ugh, you know, I thought 40 was too, too young, <laughs> but it happens. Yeah. Every single day, not as much as it does after 40, but you know what? But it does happen. It happens. It does happen. And if we don't have a better system to deal with these younger women, then those women are going to fall through the cracks. There's 22 million women a year that this legislation, if it went into effect, would affect. And that's that's crazy. That's crazy that that many women are affected by something like this that is, in my opinion, driven by the almighty buck. Um, the insurance companies don't want to cover it. And I and get that. It's offensive. I mean, it's, it's not it's just a woman's very issue. Offensive. It's a human being. Yes. It's a human being issue. It's, so it offends me personally because I think if it was something different, maybe there'd be more emphasis on making sure that women were protected. I just think that women should be, it shouldn't be a question about, protecting a woman's access to screening. We should have access to screening. We shouldn't have to Absolutely. fight for getting women who are younger to get screened. I mean, yes. but can I, be, uh, I want to clarify. I need to clarify something here, though, before we move off of this point. The task force is not made up of insurance people. It's made up of doctors. No, no, and, I understand that. And, and no, the doctors we, are the ones who made right. this, this recommendation. Well, but it is also my right. understanding that none of the doctors on that, that committee are breast cancer surgeons or or otherwise, but they don't deal with breast cancer at all. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't, don't. know. That, I mean, I, I'm I'm not willing to go on record saying that and blaming this on the insurance companies. I'm I'm just really not. No, I'm not <laughs> so. blaming that at all. I just think that it's also, and that's part of the problem. They're not breast surgeons. They don't understand. And I think that right. we need to have advocates on that on that committee um, and breast exactly. surgeons because we need to have a be where people that are actually involved in this work are making these choices for us, not people who aren't engaged at all. Exactly. That, that I, well. I support that. Yes. If one if one of those doctors had to talk to a 26-year-old or a 32-year-old and tell her that she had breast cancer, I can guarantee you they would change their, <laughs> they would change their mind well, on you know, that. Like, yeah. like in our work, I mean, the woman that we're helping, we have people emailing us constantly that are metastatic. That's a huge issue. If they had somebody who they loved get diagnosed with breast cancer, being metastatic because they missed a screening, because they were told they're too young, like, they would understand what we work with every day. It's not just Absolutely. a number or a dollar. It's someone's daughter's life or heartbeat. And so that, for me, yeah. is very personal. 
Yeah. Yes. You know very, what? Very we personal. we have to take a break. I just wow that one <laughs> that that happened quickly. I know. So we are going to we are going to we are going to take a break right now. So we just would really love to have you stay with us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more and uh, the uh, the other side of the break about Tiger Lily Foundation, what it is, what do they do, and how you can get connected. And also, Mama wrote wrote a new book, so we're going to talk about that as well. So stay with us through the break. We'll be back in a minute. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health and Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Hi, we're back from our break, and I'm so glad we can talk a little bit more about what's going on with Tiger Lily Foundation. So let's let's chat about that, Mima. What's 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 going on with Tiger Lily Foundation? What is it and how can we get involved? Um, Tiger Lily's mission is to educate, to advocate for, to empower and to support young women before, during and after breast cancer. Um, it's been interesting because the foundation came about after my personal diagnosis of breast cancer. And looking at all the gaps that were out there when it came to giving women who are younger education, support, and resources during and after treatment. So when I looked at my diagnosis, um, the first thing that was apparent to me is if I hadn't had a mom who taught me the importance of being my own best advocate, I wouldn't have known to even look for a lump. So I wanted to pay that forward. So a lot of our work is around educating young women and girls about their breast health and their best health and empowering them with the tools they need to make the right decisions um, if they're diagnosed. Um, as important to us was giving women who were diagnosed support during treatment because one of the things that I found that was lacking for me as I got out there within the advocacy space and asked other young women what they needed and what they didn't get is giving them that support during treatment. It's such an isolating thing when you're a younger woman and you're in treatment, you're the only person, you know, your age. And... Everyone you talk to says, well, at least, at least you're alive. At least you're still here. At least you're, you know, you're going to make it. Well, when you're diagnosed and you're scared and you're sick and your life's changing, there is no at least. You know, you need somebody who gets where you are and, and where you're coming from and where you're going 
um, and I can talk about things like fertility and sexuality and dating and being metastatic at 25 or 30, you know, and, and about the importance of wanting to go to work and your hair and, and losing your hair and your eyelashes and, you know, even having young kids who are, like, I had a toddler who was potty training and I had chemotherapy and I had, you know, it was a lot of very emotional times. So the goal was to give young women a place to go where they could feel that they had love, support, um, and peer support, you know, during and after breast cancer. So right now we've grown from one program that I began in treatment, which is our Hope Bag program. And the Hope Bag was a bag that had um, blankets and scarves and hats and organic lotions and soaps and really cool products to help women have a, you know, have hope, you know, during treatment. So now we offer 14 programs to young women across the country. Um, and many of them are online programs. So we have the Hope Bag. We do financial assistance. Um, we do um, Pink Power Alerts, their text alerts. Um, we launched a program in January called My Life, and it means metastatic young, living in focus, empowered. Um, so we have programs for women who are triple negative and women who are going through um, who need fertility information. So we have a lot of things that are hands-on and that are also web-based educational programs. That's great. That's wonderful. So what's your favorite um, my favorite right now, I, I would say, is my life. You know, I love my medsters. I love all women. I love all the work we do. But I have a heart for women who are metastatic because they're facing, you know, a life-changing, you know, diagnosis. And yeah. for a long time, women who are metastatic didn't have a voice in the community of breast cancer because it's so pink power focused, it's so survivorship focused, and that's important to have that hope and that, you know, idea of you can make it and you're a warrior. Um, but for them, the ones who weren't going to survive, they didn't have um, their voices that were being heard. They weren't being talked about. They were the elephant in the room. And so mm-hmm. I'm always for the underdog, the underserved, um, for the voices that aren't being heard. And so um, we relaunched the program in January, and we have eight different ways to help women who are metastatic. And in fact, our next Hill Day, which will be held on December 6th, is going to be all about MBC in young women. So that's something to me that's really um, exciting um, to have them come on the Hill and share their stories and um, give them a platform to, to have their voices be heard. That's great. That's, that's wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, that's really good. So, Mema, on your, like, the Hope Bags, how, how do people receive one of those? Is that all just a local, is that a local program? Uh, no, it's nationwide. So all the women have to do, the patient has to go on online and fill a form out, and then they have to add things in there, like, you know, who their oncologist is, who their radiologist is. We have to verify that, you know, that they're, you know, we have the information and we need to verify that they have breast cancer and they need the bags and where they're going to and their age and all that. So um, they fill it out online. Um, We get an email um, into our program management inbox, and the bags are already stuffed, and they're put into a FedEx box in some a woman who's applied for the bag gets a, a box in her door at some Aww. point in time, and it's you know it comes in a FedEx box. So imagine that you've been diagnosed and you're scared and you're overwhelmed, and you apply for this bag not knowing what's coming in the mail, and then you get home from work one day. There's a FedEx box on your doorstep, and you open it up, and this beautiful bag comes out, and it's black and white, and it has words like "You can do this. You're a warrior. Fearless. Aww. Thrive. Conquer." And then in the bag, 
are more treats. There's the blanket, pink blanket, scarves, hats, tiger lily chapstick, lotions, soaps, um, nail polish, and all these really cute things to help you, cute things and practical tools to help you feel less alone and to feel loved. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a big bundle of love and um, support during treatment. (laughs) I love that. A big bundle of love. That's awesome. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> and so to do this, they would just go to tigerlilyfoundation.org. Is that? Yep. Okay. Yep. And I yeah, noticed, I, now I was spelling. L-I-L-Y I was spelling. foundation.org. Yes. I'm sorry? Okay. L-I-L-Y. Just one L L-I-L-Y. on Lily. L-I-L-Y. Not two L's. One L. Yeah. Lily. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a hard time finding you because I was spelling Lily wrong. So Lily with one L. Well, People two L's, but that. one. Yep. That's why I spell the words <laughs> Just out. not three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, also, you know, we're, we are kind of getting down to the last few minutes here. Um, I would love to hear about your book, Fearless. And I love the cover design on it. Would you tell us about your book? And yeah, yeah what, so I'd be happy to. So Fearless we really was, it came about, one of the things, you, you don't want to find yourself on the Oprah Winfrey show and have her ask you for your book and you don't have a book. And um, I found myself in <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that moment to happen. Like, yeah, oh yeah, my God. <laughs> what is, so I, I, got the, I got the blessing of being on the show um, in 2008 and again um, a couple months ago. But I got called to go on the show and I sit there and then she goes, oh, um, do you have a book? And I thought, oh, my God, this is terrible. And so she said, you need to write a book. Your story is powerful and, you know, write something. Talk about it. So um, yes, I wrote ma'am. Fearless. And <laughs> That's what I'd say to her. Yeah, I was so mad at myself. I'm like, can I write a book in, like, 10 seconds, Oprah? Because, you know, so so either way, so um, I went back home and, you know, again, like Debbie has said later on, but Oprah said to me, you have to use your voice. You have to tell your story. No story is too small to not be heard. No story is not powerful enough to not be heard. And and I was like, well, I don't even know where to start. And she goes, she goes, you're here. <laughs> start, you know, like I love, I kept hearing that thing, the same thing. You're here. Start here. So what I did was I just sat down and wrote my life story from, you know, beginning at eight years old, um, you know, where I first talked to God in a dream I had, that he was in my dream. And I talked about the wars and about being afraid of, you know, my, my life as a child. But having the, not, the knowing that God was always with me and would protect me, and I talked about you know wanting to be a servant leader and help people, um, but not knowing how. And then you know I journeyed through coming here as a refugee and not having anything, my parents losing all they had, and then beginning from scratch and building my life to where I had a good job and was successful, and then learning I had aggressive um, triple negative breast cancer. And losing everything I built, you know, over the past 18 years, I think it was 18 years, and then literally having to go to God, like, begging and saying, please let me know what I can do to make my life mean something, because I couldn't ask God to survive. A lot of women who don't deserve to die, who no one deserves to die from disease, um, who don't deserve to die, do die, so I couldn't ask Him to spare me, but what I could ask Him for was, how could I make a difference until I died? And getting the vision for Tiger Lily and beginning that, you know, and so the book really had me helped me to reflect on um, my life and to give women who are reading it lessons learned about about hope, about determination, about vision, and about, you know, for me, being fearless doesn't mean I'm never scared. I'm scared all the time. What fearlessness means to me is moving forward despite my fears and pushing through them. 
And so I was telling women who are survivors or who are in treatment that it's okay to be scared. It's okay to not know, but just keep going forward and just keep having hope. And that's basically the gist of the book is to have hope and, um, you know, just move forward one day at a time. Yep. Wow. That, that really, that is the key, isn't it? Just one day at a time and baby steps and however you want to phrase that. But, yeah, just a little bit of time. Yeah. You know, and there's a yeah. thought that keeps going through my head, Mayma, and that is, you know, with your refugee perspective at age 15, you know, you've got this goal to transform lives of women nationally and globally. Um, I, I think you're doing it. And you know what's really interesting about all of this? And, and this is my my one moment of a political announcement. I'm not going to say sides or anything. But, you know, you give a new voice to the whole concept of a refugee and do we allow them in? Do we not allow them in? I'm really glad we allowed them in when you when you needed America. So, I really appreciate um, that. Thank you for saying that. I, I think and I admire you for speaking up because I think that and that it's not about either side. It's really about, you know, human beings and life. Exactly. Um, and where exactly. I have been deported at some point, where, where I have, to be, have been deported, I wouldn't have been here to become, become Tiger, to, be, to begin Tiger Lily. I wouldn't have been yeah. here to work on the early act or pals or begin this movement. So we have to really appreciate our country and where we yeah. came from. We are a melting yeah. pot. Yes, we are. And I've got goosebumps as we just kind of finish up on that conversation. I'm just so excited that you've been on our show with us today. So how can people reach you for more information? What can we, how can we direct them and how can people support your organization? Because I know you're a nonprofit, right? Yep, we're a nonprofit. They can find okay. us at www.tigerlilyfoundation.org. And that's tiger and then L-I-L-Y foundation.org. Um, okay. We love to have more volunteers. We like to get more sponsors. And we want women who are younger, younger, any age from, you know, as young as eight years old to, you know, mothers, grandmothers, to go on the site, people who are caregivers, to learn about how to become their best advocate, how to support patients, and how to get involved in making a difference with, the, with women who are younger um, before, during, and after breast cancer. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, good for you. We're we're just so so honored to have had you on the show with us today. So if they want to actually make a donation to your program, can they donate through your website? Yeah, we have a huge button on the top that says donation. <laughs> they can't miss okay. it. Okay. So, <laughs> can't miss yep. it. It's always wise. <laughs> yep. better, right? We'll miss that big button. Good. All right. And so when now. people <laughs> when when people make that donation, they're supporting the direct work that you do, and yep. and I think it's it's really a valuable thing. So, Mama, thank you so thank much you for so being much. on our show with us today. We really have enjoyed having you on, and um, good luck with all the work that you're doing. And you know, thank just you very much. Carry on and keep us, you know, informed if we can help out with the um, mammogram legislation the PALS Act again, because we've really got to nail this thing in one year, one year or less, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yep, I'll be in touch for sure. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank Thank you you very much. much. Take care. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) All right. Um, So that was our guest, Mayma Carmo from Tiger Lily Foundation. Beautiful lady. I'm so glad I got a chance to meet her. And, you know, the work that she's doing is so important. And, you know, but it also reminds me of the work that we're doing. Breast Friends is, is offering many similar kinds of concepts and ideas. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of these kinds of programs do offer everything they do for free or on scholarships. And 
Breast Friends is kind of the same. So, you know, we would love to encourage you to take a look at our website. It's breastfriends.org. And we also have a big blue button that says donate. Yeah, we sure do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah big just in button. case you can't find it, it should yeah. be right there on the top. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go online and make a donation through PayPal. It is 100% tax deductible. And at this time of year, you know, as you're thinking about who you're going to give to at this time of year, this is a good time to think about that. So we do have to go now. It's been, a, it's been fun. And we wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Take advantage Absolutely. of Remember what to be yeah. grateful for because yeah. we all have lots and lots of things to be grateful for. Even if you're having a hard holiday this year, just remember there are still lots and lots of things to be grateful for. Yeah. Um, and if you know someone going through cancer right now and you know the holidays are upon them as well, invite them to be part of your celebration or take them a turkey. You know, there's so many things you can do because it's really a tough time for the families who are enduring cancer at the moment. So help them out. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.